Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am your host, Hayden Grove, joined, as always, by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Chris Fedor. And the Cavaliers are off tonight. They are back at it tomorrow night. Today, we are recording on a Thursday. They're back at it Friday night against the Orlando Magic. Cavaliers 14 and 8, third in the Eastern Conference, coming off of a dominant win over the Philadelphia 76ers. And, Chris, we got a lot of we got a lot to talk about, obviously, um, mm-hmm. with this Cavaliers team at the quarter point. I guess that's what I just want to start with, though. You know, they're, they're a quarter of the way in right now. Um, how are you feeling about everything that's happened to this point? And um, what are your kind of thoughts about just the, the overarching thoughts about this, you know, them 20 games in? Yeah, I mean, I think they should feel really good about where they are, Hayden. I think there are a lot of things that um, have stood in their way of being even better than what they are. Yeah. But given the fact that they have had um, 12 different starting lineups in the first 22 games, given the fact that Darius Garland missed two weeks, Donovan Mitchell has missed a couple of games, uh, Jared Allen has been out for an extended stretch now at this point in time. They haven't yet. Well, maybe they have. Um, but early on in the season, they didn't have the right starting small forward with Karis LeVert. They made the change to Lamar Stevens. And I mean, they're undefeated with him in the starting lineup as the full-time small forward. So maybe he's the right answer, but they're still working through that and trying to figure out if Lamar's the best option, or maybe if it's Dean Wade or Isaac Okoro or whoever it may be. So given all of that, the fact that they're 14 and eight and they've got two signature wins against the Boston Celtics and they played really, really well last night against the Philadelphia 76ers. I think there are a lot of things that they should feel really, really good about. And I asked Donovan Mitchell the other day um, at shoot around before the 76ers game. I said, OK, you're at the quarter point in the season. Are you where you expected to be? And he actually said, Chris. We're better than I expected us to be at this point. We're further along than I expected us to be at this point. And I think that just shows that whether it was J.B. Bickerstaff, Kobe Altman, Mike Gansey, Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, whoever in the organization that you talk to coming into this year, they expected growing pains. They expected to go through some bumps, especially early on in the season as they were trying to work through stuff and figure some things out on the fly. So for them to be 14 and eight and the only two teams better than them in the Eastern Conference being Boston and Milwaukee, it's a really, really good place for the Cavs to be. And 
they're one of three teams in the NBA, Hayden, that that are top 10 in both offense and defense. And most times, if if you're top 10 in offense and defense in the NBA, um, and these things can change over the next week, the next month, the next two months, whatever the case may be. But if you're top 10 in offense and defense in the NBA, chances are you're going to be a contender. Um, so it's a really good place for them to be just past the quarter point of the season. Right. And you mentioned it, you know, they've had a lot of injuries. They've had Kevin Love out. They've had, yep. you know, uh, Jared Allen out. They've had a lot of uh, Darius Garland out. I mean, they just had they've just not been even healthy, you know, 20 games in. So there's that right. to, to add into the situation, too. Um, you mentioned the the so many starting lineups. You mentioned the the change in starting lineups lately. Um and Karis LeVert going in and out. And, you know, what do you make of that? Is, is this something that's just going to be ongoing? Like you put the hot hand in the starting lineup, or is this something where Karis LeVert needs to, you know, come off the bench to be effective? Where where are you with kind of Karis and the starting lineup in uh, for the Cavaliers at this point? I think those are two completely separate questions, honestly. Okay. So, I mean, I think they both deserve a lot of time individually. So I'll start with the starting lineup, Hayden. Um, I think it became pretty clear as the season was progressing that Karis LeVert wasn't the right fit alongside the other four. The four are locked in. It's Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen. When healthy, those are the four. It's about who is the right small forward. And to me, it's always been about a skill set. If you remember... When we talked about this before the season even started on the Wine and Gold Talk podcast, I was pushing for Dean Wade. Now, again, I don't make those decisions. It's up to J.B. Bickerstaff and it's up to the organization. But I also know that there are multiple people inside the organization that believe it still should be Dean Wade. Because, like, I don't think they should be looking for the most talented player. If you just cluster them all together... Karis LeVert's going to be the most talented and most accomplished player. But stylistically, he doesn't make sense alongside Darius Garland, um, Donovan Mitchell, Evan Mobley, and Jaron Allen. Because, like, there just isn't enough room for Karis to be Karis. Or at least some kind of version of Karis. He is a ball-dominant score-first player. He needs the ball in his hands to be at his best. And Darius and Donovan need the ball in their hands to be at their best. And you can't take the ball away from Darius and Donovan um, and give it to Karras and give him the same kinds of opportunities. It's just there's not enough possessions. Um, There aren't enough sets that you can run that are going to involve all of them and involve Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. So it's just like the offense is going to be at its best when it runs through Darius and Donovan and the Jared Allen thrown in the mix as the pick and roll partner for either one of those guys. That's what the Cavs do. That's where they're most effective of the pick and roll teams in the NBA. The Cavs statistically are second behind the Dallas Mavericks in terms of effectiveness It's a really good place to be. But because of that, there just isn't a lot of room for Karras alongside those other guys. So I, I think the Cavs got enough information about what worked and what didn't work with Karras and and who he needed to be next to. So if you look at that, okay, what other styles would work? 
with the four. And to me, it's got to be like low usage guys that bring enough elsewhere where you don't really need their offense, like where their offense can be a luxury. And I think the two that fit that best are Dean Wade and Lamar Stevens. Like Dean Wade brings you a little bit of defense, rebounding, size, enough athleticism, floor spacing, shooting. Like none of those things involve him having the ball in his hands or him having plays called for him or sets called for him. And he can just blend with the other guys stylistically. And Lamar Stevens has shown that he can blend with those guys as well because he brings you toughness, defensive intensity. He can cut a little bit off the ball. He can get out in transition. Um, I don't believe that his 40% from three-point range is actually a true indicator of how good of a shooter he is. But if he's going to knock down those outside shots, then it changes the equation for him as well. And I think the other thing that Lamar brings to the table is his voice and his leadership. Many, many people in the organization will say that Lamar is the loudest guy. He is the one who is not afraid to call out Donovan Mitchell or Darius Garland or Jared Allen or Evan Mobley. doesn't matter your standing in the organization. Um, Lamar is going to give it to you straight and honest, and he's not going to back down. And it all comes from a really, really good place. And if you remember, during their losing skid, the defense slipped and there was a lack of accountability, and Lamar was one of the most vocal guys during that stretch. And I think that attitude, that bleep you attitude, whether it's against um, a specific team or towards his own teammates in a positive way, the Cavs need that in that starting group. Because Darius is more fun-loving and quiet, and Donovan Mitchell is very, very uplifting and positive, and and Evan Mobley is not the most vocal guy, and Jared Allen is more of a lead-by-example kind of guy. So I've had a lot of people inside the organization say they need in that starting lineup the voice of Lamar Stevens more than anything else. And that's part of the reason why like, it's probably going to continue to be him instead of Dean Wade, who's, again— more quiet, more reserved, not going to hold people accountable in the same way that Lamar is willing to. So to me, the best two options are Lamar and Dean Wade, and it's about the Cavs figuring out, okay, is Lamar going to give us enough of the other stuff offensively um, in terms of floor spacing, in terms of shooting, in terms of what the other guys need around them, um, or is Dean Wade the right fit? One way or the other, though, I think they have decided that those are the two best options that they have to round out that starting five. And then with Karras, I mean, is he I mean, he is is he the sixth man or is it Kevin or is it a combination of both? Or, you know, is it kind of just a situation where, you know, Karras is going to be inserted into the game when they need a guy that, you know, need, can, can can put the ball in the basket? Well, just think about this. Um the, the the best that we saw from Karis Levert in, in the last, I don't know, however long he's been here. It was two months to finish out the season, and it's been about a month. So, like, three months of basketball action as a member of the Cavs. The best version that we saw of him was when, you know, one of the other ball-dominant players was was not healthy. And I think that just goes to show you, like, he needs freedom. 
right? He needs touches. Um, he needs isolation opportunities. Yeah. All these kinds of things that are very, very difficult for him to get if he would be in that starting lineup. So for now, in the short term, because of the way that the Cavs are structured, um, I think he makes a lot of sense as like the sixth man, the 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 creator of the second unit, um, where he doesn't have to play with both Darius and Donovan. He can play with one or the other. And there's enough room for him to be closer to himself. Um, but but I continue to go back to this and, and like I don't know. I don't know what the solution is, but I've been kicking it back and forth in my own mind. Like in the big picture for the Cavs to, to chase a championship, um, do they need Karras and what Karras brings to the table? Because if you think about it, Ricky Rubio is going to come back eventually and he is going to have a big role. The Cavs love him, and he fits very, very well. Yep. But if Ricky Rubio starts to be more involved in that second unit, and you want him running the show, and Donovan's probably going to be mixed in there, Kevin Love is going to be mixed in there, like, will there still be the stylistic conflicts that Karras ran into once Darius Garland returned from his nasty eye injury? Right. Right. I, I get it. I get it. Um, and and we, we just wrote a piece on um, the other day saying Ricky is talking to doctors. I mean, is there any update as to when Ricky potentially could come back? No, I don't think so. Like, I think it shows just kind of like how far away he is. Like, yeah, there's part of it that he's making progress and he hasn't had any setbacks and he's able to do these pregame workouts and he's able to go one-on-one -on -one against Isaiah Mobley after practice or after shoot around. And that's great. And, and he looks really, really good and he looks comfortable and he looks like he's in shape and stuff like that. But one-on-one -on -one is like the first step of a lengthy recovery process. After that, he needs to progress into three-on-three -three and take contact there then he needs to progress into five on five and take contact there. And then he needs to practice with the team, which can be difficult to do because there aren't as many practice days once the schedule gets really, really condensed in December and January and February. So, yeah, he has taken positive steps and every sign is good so far. But those are early signs when it comes to these kinds of progressions. It feels like anyway. And my sources continue to tell me that the Cavs aren't going to rush him back. They don't feel like they need to rush him back, that there are enough guys internally that can do some of the things that that he would do when coming back. And he's on the wrong side at 30, and this is his second torn ACL. And usually the recovery period for a torn ACL is 10 to 12 months, like about a year makes sense, especially for somebody like him. So if we take that, you know, the 12-month mark is the end of December, beginning of January. And then if the Cavs are going to be cautious with it, if they're going to have a hard time finding these practice times, 
then you start thinking, okay, middle of January, end of January. So it's just like really, really hard to get a specific gauge on this kind of injury um, because of all the different factors that, that are going to go into it. But like from what you have seen, he looks good and he looks healthy and he looks like he's moving well. Yeah. But there's a big difference between that and then going out and playing a real NBA game against some big time competition. Right. I guess it's like one of those things where, you know, it's just when it happens, it happens. And then we can, you know, add him in and, and see how he fits into the, the fold of things. But in the meantime, you know, you just got to play with what you got. Um, Here's the thing, though. Yeah. Like, I think they know how he fits. Yeah. Um, obviously, some of the personnel is different from last year, but I think they know stylistically what he brings to the table, the way that he runs an offense, the way that he gets everybody organized, the way that um, he played next to Darius Garland last year. There are enough answers. Now, again, like the level that he played at being healthy last year versus the level that he's probably going to play at coming off of this torn ACL and maybe a year recovery, that might be different. But the Cavs stylistically know that that what Rubio brings to the table, they need and they benefit from. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And and they also know that he can play next to Donovan Mitchell because they saw that in Utah. Right. It's a different kind of conversation with like Karis LeVert. Because again, I keep going back to this. Like, do the Cavs need what makes Karis Karis? Do the Cavs need what makes him a good player? In the big picture, when they traded for him, it was different, right? Yes, they, very. They were missing Ricky Rubio. They were missing Colin Sexton. And they needed somebody, anybody, to take some pressure off of Darius Garland from a playmaking standpoint and from a scoring standpoint. But the status quo has changed with Donovan Mitchell coming into the mix and Evan Mobley taking a leap in year two. And Jared Allen being so involved in the offense from a pick-and-roll standpoint and Ricky Rubio potentially coming back from this knee injury. I just I just don't know. I just don't know where Karras fits in the big picture. Yeah, and that's not a great thing. But, you know, when everything else is fitting so well and doing so well, it's kind of hard to really uh, be too upset about it. You know what I mean? I mean, the way that yeah. Donald Mitchell has played, the way that Darius Garland has played, the way that right. you know this team is playing as a whole, it's hard to be, you know, upset about one um piece but actually that, that's a great segue into another point in that you know a player that's been at times um polarizing i guess in terms of the way he's played this year uh and evan mobley i mean i think that he's had some really really good games he's had some really he's looked really good but also there are games where he gets lost and there are times that you know the way that you phrased it is a disappointment. I don't think I could call him a disappointment. I mean, way too early, but um, it it's, I think it's been more difficult for him than anybody imagined it would be, you know, with Darius and Donovan. I think that's like an incorrect perception. I, I think there are fans that look at it saying like, where's this second year leap from Evan Mobley? Sure. Um, I just, I just think that's crazy, honestly. Like, this is a 21-year-old kid um, who is in his second year who's averaging 
15 and nine while shooting 55% from the field and being integral into everything they do on the defensive end of the floor where they are the second best defense in the entire NBA. Right. Like what? Yeah. Like what, what isn't he doing that you want him to be doing? And, and I get it. Like the, the stats aren't gaudy, but I don't think Evan is the kind of player where the stats are going to be that gaudy. Um, I, I think he's just the kind of guy who is going to have a possession to possession impact and a nightly impact that may not always show up in the stat sheet. He's I mean, the kind of guy who impacts winning in a significant way that goes far, far beyond the box score. Yeah, and even then, I mean, the stats aren't gaudy, but, you know, he's still averaging 15 and, and 9. 15 I mean, and 9 while shooting 55% from the field. Like, yeah. he's had three games, three games all year where he's been in single-digit scoring. One against Milwaukee, another one against Minnesota, and another one against the Lakers. And I think they all have something in common. Like, against the Lakers, hello, that was Anthony Davis, right? Yeah. Like, Anthony Davis is really freaking good. That's a really difficult matchup for somebody like Evan Mobley. The next one against Minnesota, like, yeah, he struggled against Rudy Gobert. Duh. Like... That's a really, really difficult matchup. It's the best defensive player of the last decade. Yeah, he's going to have a hard time getting shots off. Yeah, he's going to have a hard time getting touches in the paint. And then Milwaukee is Milwaukee. You know what I mean? So, like, yep. those three games, the single-digit games, those are outlier games. And they're all, to some degree, understandable if you try and put it in perspective. But aside from that, he's been great. Are you kidding me? Sign me up for this kind of impact from Evan Mobley. I'll take it all day. I think the Cavs will take it all day. And the other thing that I think people have to be reminded of, he is not hes not somebody who's just going to go get his own offense. You know what I mean? Like, he's not Darius Garland. He's not uh, Donovan Mitchell. At one point, Evan was fourth in usage on the team. He was fourth in touches on the team. So in many ways... At this point of his career, at this stage of his development, he's reliant on his other guys keeping him involved throughout the course of the game. He's reliant on other guys creating shot opportunities for him. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It makes sense. It makes sense. And I, I think that, you know, maybe it, it just because of last year he was just more, I don't know, he just more involved? Is that the word? Or just, he just involved? Yeah. I mean, his I numbers know. are pretty similar yeah. to last year. Like, yeah, you know, maybe people were expecting like a superstar leap. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why there's been this kind of like negative vibe around what Mobley's bringing. Here's what I know. Unprompted, Giannis told me personally that he thinks Evan can be better than him someday. 
Wow. Okay. Unprompted, Joel Embiid talked about Evan Mobley in the same breath as Nikola Jokic. Other people around the NBA, this isn't just the Cavs talking about Evan one day being one of the best players in the NBA, one of the best players at his position. This isn't just his teammates saying it. It's not just his coaches saying it. It's not his organization saying it. It is other big-time players around the NBA and big-time coaches that see the nightly brilliance and nightly impact from this kind of guy that are going out of their way to praise him at a level that (laughs) even some of his own teammates haven't gone to yet at this point. So, like, that should tell you all you need to know about what um, other people around the NBA think about the kind of impact that Evan Mobley is having in year two and the kind of future that he can have. Yeah, I think that maybe the, the thing that maybe jumps out to me about that is that, okay, if these guys are saying that, I don't see that. You know what I mean? Like, if they're saying it, I'm not seeing that yet. Like, and maybe that's where there's a kind of a discrepancy is that I'm not seeing a guy that can turn into Giannis. I, I mean, I can see a guy who's a perennial, you know, uh, really, really good player to all to all star player, you know, but I don't know if I can see a, like a, a Giannis, a guy that's going to win Why MVP, not? take over the league. I'm just saying, I don't see it yet. I, I mean, I, it just because Giannis, it took a while, you know. And maybe so, that's what, what will happen is that it will take a while. Um, but so I think maybe but I think maybe people were expecting, you know, when Giannis says something like that, maybe people are expecting, well, if 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 he doesn't look like or if Giannis thinks he can be better than him, then why doesn't he look like that right now? Well, it does take time. Well, I mean, that's the thing that can be difficult about a lot of young players is a big part of it's projecting. Yeah. Um, and there's no guarantee that these things happen in progression and development is not linear. But Giannis wasn't Giannis until year four or five. Right. So if we look at Giannis in year two, Giannis in year two averaged 31 minutes a game, shot 49 percent from the field, 15 percent from three point range, and he averaged 12.7 points and 6.7 rebounds to go with 2.6 assists and 1.0 blocks. That was year two, Giannis. Evan Mobley is better than that in year two. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, that's the thing. Like, we're not talking about Giannis now and Evan now. We're talking about Evan in year two versus Giannis in year two. Or Evan in year two versus Chris Bosh in year two. Or Evan in year two and Anthony Davis in year two. And then saying if he follows the same path, right, if he continues down the same road, if he continues on this trajectory of his own development, can he then leap into the stratosphere that those guys um, jumped into in year four, in year five, something along those lines. But like Giannis wasn't Giannis in year two. And Anthony Davis wasn't Anthony Davis in year two. And Bosch wasn't Bosch in year two. So those are the things that we have to remember. This is a 21-year-old kid who's in year two of his development. He's not nearly as physically mature as he's going to be or he can be. His game isn't nearly as polished as it's going to be or can be. And that, I think, can be a breakdown. Because, like, 
we look at 28-year-old Giannis and say, oh, 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 my goodness, there's no way that Evan could get to that point. Well, when it was 21-year-old Giannis, there was no way that you were saying he was going to be a two-time MVP and a six-time All-Star either. Right. Right. It's about time. It's about time and progression. And, you know, I think that we're 20 games into the season. We'll see where Evan is at the end of the season. But, I mean, you're right. I mean, the numbers look good. Um, and, you know, when he's on the court, he looks good. But sometimes you just – I think maybe because of how good Donovan and Darius are and have been, it just he seems like a – distant third and maybe that's why people or maybe that's why again i'm trying to figure out what the source of negativity around evan mobley is and and i just i can't find it i i can't understand it um but even then i mean again maybe you would say that oh well, you're you're one of them too because you you don't think he can yep. look like Giannis, and that's <laughs> and that's fair and that's fair um but i also believe that there's that I see the other side of it and that it's patience. It's, it's growth. Right. It's, it's, you know, it's going to take time. So I, I know too, that there's, they're only 20 games in and, you know, Evan guys have slower starts and Evan's not even having a slower start. So again, it's a kind of a combination of all of those things. I uh, would love to see, and, and this is just me yeah. for myself. I would just love to see what it would look like. And, and I don't know what it would look like. I would love to see what it would look like. Without Darius, without Donovan. Yeah. And just like let Evan just unleash Evan to a level that he hasn't been unleashed to yet. Just to see how would he handle it offensively? How aggressive would he be offensively? What kinds of numbers could he put up if some of those impediments to his touches and to his high usage were pulled out of the equation? Maybe he would flourish because he would have more opportunities. He would have a blinking green light. Or maybe he would struggle because he didn't have the two primary creators getting um, him better looks, easier looks, quality touches around the rim. There is part of me that would love to see what that would look like. Yeah, well, I don't think Cavs fans would agree because they want to see Darius and Donovan on the floor. <laughs> you know, I think they want to see Darius and Donovan on the floor every night. Um before we go, Chris, I mean, this team is, you know, they have, they, their losses are against kind of, their losses are against Milwaukee, which is a really good team. Um, they've had, why am I blanking on their other losses? Um, it I just mean, seems eight like, of them. I don't know that you're going to rattle off all of them, but Toronto twice. Yes, Toronto. The twice. West Coast the road trip teams. Yes. So yeah. basically, the the so four of their eight losses are against the Bucks and the Raptors, and yeah. you know. It it goes to say that like okay you're not gonna play the Bucks and the Raptors every night I think you played the Bucks twice on the road as well so that's also a big ask, um, yeah. but where do you think this team struggles Where do you think this team can improve What can they kind of do to maybe avoid those losses to the Bucks and kind of you know maybe start to take steps in the right direction when playing teams that they have struggled against Yeah I mean I think that brings um. Like a, a bigger point to the conversation because, like, this is the NBA. It's 82 games. It's a wonky schedule. It is a grind. As somebody who deals with it on a daily basis, it is so hard to explain to somebody who doesn't deal with it on a daily basis just how much of a grind it is. It's just for me covering it. 
imagine playing, you know, 35, 40 minutes. And yes, I understand that NBA players have different luxuries and different travel and different hotels and stuff like that. But they're human. And the 82 games are a grind. Everybody would admit that. So, like, doing the game-by-game thing is very, very dangerous in this league. I'll give you an example. So, the other night when they lost against Toronto, it was 188. People in Toronto were, like, going gaga, right? Like, oh, my gosh, this shows just how good the Raptors can be. And they're a very, very difficult team to play against. Like... If I was in Toronto and I was being honest, that wasn't a very good win for the Raptors. Yeah. To me, that didn't show a lot about Toronto. To me, that was a circumstantial loss for the Cavs. Like, it took an outlier shooting performance from the Cavs. It took an outlier Donovan Mitchell performance. The Cavs were playing their third game in four nights. Yes. Um, like, there were so many different... They didn't have Jared Allen. They didn't have Kevin Love. They didn't have Lamar Stevens. There were just like so many weird factors attached to that game. And it made sense to me that in the locker room afterward, the Cavs were just kind of like, yeah, we had a bad night. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We shot the ball like crap. It's going to happen. And it, it wasn't the same feeling as when they lost to Milwaukee on November 16th. And then it led to a team meeting and soul searching and lineup changes. You know, yeah. some losses, some losses affect a team more than others because they can be honest about why they lost the game, right? Yep. Because they've been through all these different things that they know the reasons why they lost the game. And they can see the difference between an uh-oh performance that could linger and, and shows legitimate flaws and a performance that just says, we didn't have it. For a variety of reasons, we just didn't have it. Like the 76ers had no reason last night to leave Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse saying, oh my God, we're in horrible shape. We can't be a contender because we only scored 85 points and we looked like absolute hot garbage against the Cavs. That was a flush it down the toilet and get ready for the next one kind of loss. Yeah. So for the Cavs, like, For the Cavs, like, you have to look at some of these other losses like that and going loss by loss by loss and trying to explain away and da-da-da-da-da. You'll drive yourself mad. The truth is, like, if they're going to be top 10 in offense and defensive rating, they're going to be a contender. Teams that are top 10 in offense and defense are contenders. And there are only three of them so far at the quarter point of the season. Phoenix, Cleveland, and New Orleans. And I think the Cavs have shown through the first portion of this schedule that, yes, even though they made some personnel changes, they can still be that kind of defensive team. They lost it a little bit on the West Coast, but they found it again. And they can be that kind of defensive team. As long as Evan Mobley and Jared Allen are anchoring that defense and they play with the level of intensity that they've shown over the last week and a half, as opposed to on the West Coast road trip, They can be that kind of defense. It can still be their backbone and their foundation. And I think they have shown a different level of offense. Donovan Mitchell has brought that. The combination of Darius and Donovan together has brought that. The the growth that Evan Mobley and both Jared Allen have shown on the offensive end, that's helped with that as well. Um, So I'm not too concerned about the defense, 
I'm not too concerned about the offense, any kind of issues that Darius and Donovan have had together stylistically. I think you're seeing those start to dissipate. It's not perfect yet, but I think you're seeing those start to dissipate and they're starting to figure it out. And I think they're the kinds of players that are always going to be able to work together. So I'm not worried about that. The two issues that stand out to me are some of the same ones that I had coming into the year. Mm -hmm. Um, Number one, they don't have that much experience in like big time games, big time environments. There's not a lot of experience. And I don't know that that's really going to show all that much during the regular season, Hayden. I think that's something that could show in the playoffs if they get that far. Um, but but there's just nothing that they can do about that except try and go through different experiences so that they can gain that knowledge and they can feel it and they can see it. And the other thing is, and this ties in to the fact that they don't have a lot of experience and they're a relatively young team, they have not been very good on the road. Like they're five and seven away from Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. So yeah. you got to find a way to win these games on the road. you got to find a way to bring the style that you show at home where you're almost dominant, 9-1. and one. Um, you got to find a way to get that to translate on the road when you don't have the crowd on your side, when you've got more adversity that's going to pop up, when you're not as comfortable those are the kinds of things that they need to show as the season continues to go on for me anyway. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Um, but you're right. The only way they can get experience is to get experience. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, there's nothing they can do. Like you don't know what you don't know. This is the way right. it goes. Right. And and the other obvious issue, and we touched on this is the small, the small forward spot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. no, No starting five is going to be perfect, right? No starting five is going to have everything that you need. No roster is going to have, like, every piece that you absolutely need. But, I mean, if you're talking about trying to compete with Boston and Milwaukee that are on a different level, that we're always going to be on a different level, starting Lamar Stevens at small forward or starting Dean Wade at small forward that can be a dangerous proposition, right? You could probably stand to upgrade that particular spot. Yeah, yeah. It's it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because, you know, I, I like Dean Wade, I like Lamar Stevens, but is that, yes. going to be, is that going to be enough, you know? Right, I mean, like, for what they have based on the internal options, those two guys are the best options. But... When you're in a seven-game series against Boston or Atlanta or Milwaukee, where it's all about exposing your flaws um, and trying to mask your strengths, like, I think we understand what teams are going to do against the Cavs with those two guys out there. And um, I think those are exploitable areas um, that could end up being problematic unless the Cavs try and find a way to make an upgrade around the time of the trade deadline. And if they're going to try and make an upgrade around the time of the trade deadline, I think the best piece that they could offer is Karras. Karras and his expiring contract. Right. Well, for for just somebody who like fits better in the big picture. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not about him being a bad player. It's just about his fit with this 
group of personnel and whether the things that he does well are things that the Cavs benefit from as a team. I mean, he's trying to do everything he can to make the sacrifice. And he has stepped it up on the defensive end of the floor in a big, big way. And I give him a lot of credit for that. But but that's not what makes Karras Karras. Yeah. And I think that that you mentioned it in regards to Karras, that this was a very different team that he came into. Um, yeah. You know, right. he was brought in for a very different team. Um, and it's and also just, a different team now in yes. this role that he's going to be in, coming off the bench, six-man, opportunities to score, touches, run the offense a little bit. The the way that he was used a lot last night against Philadelphia when he scored 22 points and he had his best game since the explosion against Boston in late November. Like, it's a different team now and in that game against Philly than what the Cavs envision it being in January, February, March. Right. Well, I think, again, like I said, I know it's it's kind of hard to... to um... It's kind of hard to hear if you're a listener, but sometimes you just got to wait and see. Like, you got to wait and see. It's not going to get fixed overnight. Um, it's not going to get something that you're going to have an answer to overnight, but we'll yeah. see how it works out. We'll see and how I it don't works think, out. I don't think they even, like, need to fix, fix any. Like, something is so drastic that it's going to prevent no. them from making the playoffs no. or anything. It's just, like, looking at the ways that they can still improve this team right. and get better. As we I mean, go Chris, into right. the goal, of the the goal of the Cleveland Cavaliers is to win an NBA championship. So if you're, yeah. you know, if you feel like you need more to win an NBA championship, you need more. It doesn't mean that it's bad. It doesn't mean that things are bad with the Cavaliers. It doesn't mean that things, you know, aren't going well. It just means, well, you know, there's another level that needs to be reached. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, right. that's exactly where they're at. So they're 14 and eight playing well, but you're right. They need to find a way to win games on the road. They need to find a way to win games in big environments. Then, then that's the next level. You know, we're not we're not nitpicking here. That's the next level. That's that's where, if you want to win an NBA championship game or NBA championship, you're going to have to figure these things out. You know, you're going to have to learn these things. You're going to have to get to that level. So it's not about us, you know, being nitpicky or saying this team's not doing enough. It's just there's another level to reach and we'll see, you know, what it will take to reach there. Um, is there anything else you wanted to hit on, Chris? No, I don't think so. But I think through a quarter of the season, they're in a great, great spot, um, yeah. given everything that they have dealt with. And and J.B. Bickerstaff has said multiple times, Hayden, and I side with him on this. It's not about being at your best in October, November, and December, right? Their yeah. goal is to continue to progress, continue to find answers, maybe even fail along the way. Because sometimes you learn from your failures. I mean, think about what the Cavs learned and, and what the Cavs gained from losing that game against Milwaukee and having that um 30 minute meeting inside the visitors locker room it led to soul searching it led to more accountability it led to a lineup change and it led to them rediscovering their defensive identity um had they not lost that game the way that they did had they not gone on that losing streak the way that they did had they not failed that way maybe they're not this team, right? Maybe they're not yeah. feeling as good as they did. Maybe they didn't learn the lessons that they needed to learn, but that was an opportunity to learn from it. And the thing that you look for is, okay, do you learn from it, right? Do you make the changes? And it's clear based on the way that they have played since then that they learned from it and they were able to make the necessary changes 
um, to pull it back together before it spiraled out of control even more. Um, right. So I think there are going to be more failures as this season goes on. I think there are going to be more growing pains as this season goes on. Um, but I think those are going to be good things for the Cavs because you've got to learn those things along the way to hopefully be at your best in March and April and, and get the answers that you need along the way on what works and, and what doesn't work. Um, and and I think every team strives um, to be peaking at the right time going into the playoffs as opposed to early on in the season. We saw it, we saw it last year, you know, Cavs kind of peaked early and things did not go well down the stretch. And all that was injury, yeah. but still, I mean, the Cavs now are dealing with the injury bug. So maybe that's yeah. something that won't affect them as much at the end of the season. We'll see. Well, I mean, I think you saw at the end of last season, too, um, and at times this year, just how important Jared Allen is. If anybody had any kind of questions about that. Yeah, he just, is. It's a different team without it. Like, their margin for error shrinks so much. He's just involved so much offensively and defensively. Like he's he's involved in like every single possession on the offensive end, screening somebody, um, rolling to the basket to create some gravity. It's just unbelievable. If you just watch him on a night to night basis and everything that he does for this team to function the way that it does, yep. It's it's just unbelievable. He's so, so important. And you just have to look at the end of last season when they completely collapsed without him and how they play. Like, yeah, they're still winning games, but how they play on the defensive end with him versus without him is very, very drastic. Right. Exactly. All right, buddy. Um, I do want to tell people right now to go to Cleveland.com slash Cavs, click the blue banner at the top of the page, and you will get all kinds of insight, analysis, news, and straight to your phone from Chris himself before Twitter, before anywhere else. Go to Cleveland.com slash Cavs, get that to the top of the page, and you are good to go. 14-day free trial, $3.99 a month after that. Definitely go check out Chris's subtext. Um, in the meantime, we will keep up with your fantastic work and wish you safe travels as we uh, another little trip coming up, I think, uh, to the yeah, West Coast. Yeah, New York right? this weekend. No, yeah, New York old... this weekend and then the Texas two-step. Right. There you go. The Texas two-step. Exactly. Well, enjoy New York. I know you love it. We, uh, You know, who doesn't love New York? But um, <laughs> enjoy enjoy New York. Enjoy Brooklyn. I know you're a big Brooklyn guy. Um, and uh, we will talk soon. Sounds good, brother. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. We will talk to you soon. For Chris and myself, have a good night.